to the Australian Cycling Insider podcast. I am Dan Finch-Penninger, and today I'm very lucky to be joined by Liam White of Oliver's Real Food Racing, the recent podium getter at the Melbourne to Warrnambool. Uh, Liam, how you doing? Good, thanks, Jamie. How are you? And thanks uh, for being here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing very well. Uh, thanks, Liam. And uh, yeah, congratulations on our performance. That was a that was a hell of a ride. Um, I only got the chance to go back and watch the uh, stream um, on Sunday evening. It's now Monday, um, and I I was very impressed by your performance there. I, I noticed you right up there in a number of those late moves. I mean, we'll talk more about that specifically later. But um, first of all, I mean, what are your emotions about you know coming off that? Yeah, yeah. Look, it was um, look. I think at the start of the day, if you had said that. Um, among the the hot field that it was, um, I was going to get third. I would have probably taken it, but at the same time, you're you're a bike racer and you want to win. Um, and so to come up to come so close, but uh, come up a little bit short, uh, it's always keeps that fire burning in the belly, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, and you, surprisingly, you hadn't had enough of bike racing for one weekend. You turned up at the, the Mount Alexander um, event um, just after, the, just the day after, and uh, went well on that as well. Yeah, look, it's um, being a um, being or living in Bendigo now. It's um, it's always good to get amongst the club racing here, and they're a super strong club. So you always know that you're going to have the likes of um, Darren Lapthorne and um, and Robbie Hucker and those kind of guys that have been at the, the top end of the sport for many years. Um, when they're turning up, you always know that you're in for a, a good, whether it's a workout or whether you actually want to race to, to the line, it's, um, yeah, you're always going to have a um, solid group of guys. Yeah, well, I mean, it looks like a really fun bunch over there. I've, I, I meant to go to Bendigo and talk to them about it because there's something in the water over there or whatever because uh, they keep on churning out those top top level cyclists um, year after year. So, yeah, I think it's the the old uh, the old philosophy: success breeds success. So I think when you're um, when everyone's kind of uh, cutting at the heels of everyone else, it um, yeah, I think I suppose it brings that baseline level up just that little notch further. Um, and I think that's what they're. I think that's what how they build so much success to come out of Bendigo. But it's um no great to be here and um and as I said, I, uh, the the bunches and um, the people. It's just a nice culture up here. Let's get into chatting about Melbourne to Warrnambool a bit because that's what we're here for. We'll also do a bit of a preview of uh, Grafton to Inverell. Uh, I know you're on the start list for that, Liam. Uh, we'll talk about about how those two races go together. But let's start off with uh, the Warney first. Um, 267 kilometres wasn't quite the wind that um, that was expected before the race. It was supposed to be a fairly gusty northerly, um, but it ended up being um, a bit minimal in terms of the wind until maybe like the last 30 k's or so where it seemed to pick up a bit along the coast there. Uh, what were the conditions um, out there from your perspective, Len? Yeah, look, I think the whole week prior to it, it was building up to be yeah, this, um, this race that we hadn't seen for a few years. Um, with a cross tailwind, um, it was going to be fast, and then, um, and then obviously along the coastline, it was going to be more almost crosswind. So it was definitely had everyone on edge a bit um, prior to the start, and then with the the likes of the track guys and um, a strong inform team, it definitely made for people to be, I suppose, calculating how or, and potentially predicting how the race was going to be run and won. So. From my perspective, I was hoping um, that the wind was going to pick up and because I was hoping that it would be relatively selective. 
that's kind of, I suppose, what I'd been gearing my training towards. But at the same time, it's always unpredictable in those sort of situations um, because, yeah, you just you just might get caught out of out of the wheels for a second, and then before you know it, you're behind a split. So, yeah, look, I think in the end, it wasn't what it expected until the last thirty k's, where it where the brake came back and everyone really started racing for the line. I suppose you call it. <laughs> What was the feeling going into the race? I mean, uh, I did an interview with Luke Plapp, um, you know, doing my bit to try and um, get the, get everyone excited about the race. And thankfully, I think people were quite excited going into the race. There's a lot of people watching on the live stream, uh, a lot of interest from the public. And Luke Plapp was saying, you know, it's going to be a race we've never seen before, sort of, sort of what you're saying along those lines. And he was talking up, you know, the Inform team and talking up the Australian cycling team boys. Uh, what were you thinking going into the race? Do you pay attention to any of that stuff, or is there is it a case of oh, it's just what what's going? It's more what's been talked about within the peloton that um, rather than the media that governs what you're thinking. Yeah, look, I think you're always going to be wary of those guys because they're such high caliber riders, and so and then you obviously saw what um, Lucas did at nationals, and then. Um, and you're obviously aware of how the, you know, the caliber of Sam Wellsford and guys like that. So I think it's one of those things you you do read into it a little bit, but you just try not to get sidetracked by what the, I suppose the goal that you're trying to achieve at the end of the day. So look, as I said, um, going to the race, I was hoping that um, it was going to be selective. And um, so you just have to put your best foot forward. But at the same time, you're always wary about them. So yeah, you just got to play with what you've got and um, hopefully the cards uh, fall in your direction, I suppose. Yeah, the Oliver's team had their own cards to play, but I guess we'll talk more about that as we get into the tactics. Um, it started off with a solo break from Terence Hoare of Cycle House Racing, who was out there for a little bit, got joined by Marcus Cooley, who jumped away, I think, with Sam Volkers, um, but Sam Volkers couldn't quite hold on to Marcus's pace and when Marcus is you know, going proper diesel mode, that's that's hard hard to hang on to. Uh, Marcus went over to uh, Terence Hall and then the bunch really wasn't keen to let them go and uh, there was a, a, a joining up of uh, seven other riders bridging across to them, uh, notably including uh, Raphael Freinstein from Inform, uh, who was, a, I think, a danger man for everyone, and uh, Sam Hill from uh, Nero, who... and. Basically, they were chased quite hard for maybe 60, 70 Ks, I think, was when the kind of almost the recatch was made. Uh, but it wasn't quite a recatch. And um, Hill and Frankenstein jumped away to make their own group of two, which um, which then lasted until, um, what was it, about 40, 40 Ks to go. Um, Liam, uh, talk us through what was happening within the bunch there and uh, what the feeling was once, you know, one, as everything was happening. Yeah, it was it was a bit of an odd start because um, I think Terence got away quite easy, um, and there, I knew I knew a few people were saying in the in the bunch at that time they're like, oh geez, that's a long that's a long day if you're out there by yourself. Um, and I think obviously for Cycle House it was just for them to be aggressive, and them to be represented um, in that early move. But then once um, once it actually kind of started to settle down and guys like Marcus Cooley got off the front um, and groups started to go across, it was starting to be like yeah, a game of representation. So each team wanted to be up the road. And um, and then I think because what happened was I think there wasn't really a break established um, and they actually decided for a to, uh, to stop for a toilet break 
Um, and so, and all it was me, myself included. Like I stopped on the side of the road with a, probably about 30 others. Um, and then before we knew it, um, we were actually under the pump. I was, I actually chased straight back on with um, Raphael Frinstein, um, Carter Turnbull and Kel O'Brien. Um, and it took us probably about a good 5k to actually chase back on because the race kept opening up and people apparently from other grades were uh, attacking the bunch. Um, so kind of keeping the race um, going, which I suppose in one respect is a little bit annoying, but at the same time, there was no break. So it's kind of our own fault, I suppose, to stop on the side of the road when there is no break. Um, but then once I got back to the front, um, with those informed guys, Raf just went straight around everyone, around the bunch and attacked um, up, I think it's called Devon Road. I think that was the first KOM. So yeah, so he went straight from the back to the front and then off the front. Um, and obviously Sam Hill was uh, um, there to join him. And before you knew it, that was kind of the, I suppose, the, the two men break that went away for the day. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, what was the feeling within the... I mean, the peloton obviously slowed up at that point and the gap got out to about 6 minutes 50, I think, was the maximum that I heard. Though, to be honest, um, I was in commissaires too and the time checks weren't exactly that co- uh, that that easy to do because the radio communication between commissaire 2 and commissaire and the chief commissaire was not, was you know, not properly working. So who knows exactly what gap they got out to, but there's about seven minutes there. Um, what was the feeling within the bunch at that point? Well, it was all it was one of those things. Like it was always two guys, and so two guys going away seventy k's into a two hundred and six seventy k race is always kind of like okay, you're you're out there for the long haul now, um, and you've really got to hopefully set a um, a tempo. And us, but then in in the peloton, it was it was still very touchy because of that. What happened earlier on with the toilet break and people not exactly i suppose abiding by it per se people were very edgy to even stop like i had um plappy come up to me at one stage and go do you, do you reckon it's uh it's the right time to stop now or what's up for the next 5k's and i said mate like this is a, this is about 130 k's in and he was like oh you, the feed zone's in 5k time you probably could stop but maybe you might get attacked if you stop like it was it was such a lottery um and so we were ho- just hoping basically, or not hoping, but it was, you were hoping that Inform just didn't put it down whilst you were off the back or any of the any of the other teams to be precisely um, honest. Um, but also a, uh, ACA had a had an agenda, um, obviously, to, to want to bring it back potentially, I, I believe, for Cam Scott. So they, they did a lot of the riding on the front. Um, Inform didn't really do much in the chasing, but obviously they had wrap up the road, so they didn't have to. But yeah, it was a bit of a, um, I think it was an edgy peloton for most of the day. Yeah, it's interesting um, that you mentioned those dynamics there because um, I think we saw a bit of that come out once you guys um, reached um, the Great Ocean Road and got on the coast there. Um, there was at least, there's there's one really good picture which um, I'd suggest anyone goes to the Melbourne Warrnambool site because um, that's the banner image now on that site and yeah it's basically I think you're all about fifth wheel or something there Liam the peloton all strung out in one line as you're going across the Great Ocean Road and there's the sea in the background and all that um, but it it looks like there's those big hitters up the front I think it's Alice I think it's either Alistair Christie Johnson or Ben Van Dam at the front but then you've got like Luke Platt Lee uh, Lee oh sorry Kel O'Brien. Uh, Sam Wellsford right there as well, and and yourself right up there. So there was like clearly those those moments where 
the the bunch began to string out again as you were um, chasing those two riders. Yeah, it was really odd because coming into Port Campbell, they um, there was almost like a bit of a lead out into that section because I think a lot of people were wary that once we turned right to go on to, there was, a, I think it was KOM number four. And then, but then also the uh, potential exposure to crosswinds there, there was a lot of panic early. I know that the climb before going to Port Campbell, that was quite difficult, quite a bit of pace put on that climb. But yeah, it was once we got onto the Great Ocean Road, that's where it started to open up a bit and people were starting to, I suppose, fight in the gutter and basically the race was kind of, I suppose, on almost from there. It didn't really let up from there onwards. Um, there was a couple of sections where the, the bunch kind of swelled, but yeah, the last 70Ks was um, almost a bit of a free-for-all. Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. I was just sitting behind the break in Com, in com 2, um, so I didn't get to see much of that, but um, I'm going back and looking at the um, at the live stream. It's it's really amazing how much attacking there was and how non-stop it was, essentially. Um, the commentators could barely get their breath at times. Yeah, and, and as I said, like I think it kind of lived up to what um, Plappy and a few of those other guys were saying earlier in the week, like that's where it was going to go down, that's where it did go down, um, and going into that section, there was such a big group of people, like a, or a, such a big peloton approaching that section. So there was always going to be not enough road for as many people as what we had in the peloton. So, um, yeah, look, I think it made for the basically the start of the race to really open up. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Coming to that section, um, that's when the gap um, to uh, Frankenstein and Hill really began to plummet. Um, and uh, we saw minutes being taken off them, um, you know, in every like five kilometres, there'd been like another minute taken off. And um, the cooperation really stopped in the break as well. Um, Sam was pulling a lot longer turns than uh, Raf for quite a long period there. And then at one point, um, he just decided he'd had enough of pulling these really long turns and hit him with an attack. Oh, wait, that was after his jersey kind of it took it, managed to unzip itself, which was a bit amusing because he spent 10 minutes cycling along with a flapping jersey because Sam couldn't quite get it a ton up again. Uh, so I don't know, I don't know what that's costing him in terms of, in terms of what's what do you reckon, Lynn? Oh, I, I think it'll just be more the frustration factor, I think. <laughs> um, which I guess I know when you obviously get your mind on something that you and it's annoying you, you're uh, you're instantly uh. A, bit, a little bit sidetracked, but uh, oh, I wouldn't know how much. Uh, I'm not the I'm not the person about the aerodynamics to ask. Maybe Alistair Christie Johnson's a better guy to ask about that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's see how much it's ruining your CDA. I think that's the technology yeah. <laughs> these days, anyway. Um, so yeah, it was uh, yeah Sam Hill. You know, tried to attack Raf, but you know Raf was able to hold him. It's, it's it's funny watching them those two on the bike because they're almost polar opposites in a lot of ways. Um, Sam sort of all over all over the bike, you know, throwing his head around and that sort of stuff. Um, whereas Raf is just a well old machine constantly. So it was fun. It was fun sitting behind them and yeah. seeing that seeing that difference. But in the end, um, the cooperation just really broke down between them, and Raf sat on. And from there, it wasn't gonna wasn't gonna be anything but them be getting caught. Though when the peloton got up to them, um, it seemed to take a while to make the actual catch there. What was uh, going on in the bunch there? Well, I think as soon because obviously we were on those those roads that were a little bit longer, you could actually see you could see them, and then we're on also like, like open field, so you could kind of see the the lead car for a fair while before we actually caught them. I think once they got inside a minute, like we could actually see them. So that impetus of teams going, okay, we've actually got a chase to 
okay, we can actually see them. They're within arm's length. It's more so a matter of fact now is like, do we want to catch them yet or do we just let them kind of dangle out there? I suppose once we did catch them, yeah, it would have been probably maybe 15Ks, 20Ks after we could actually see them. So, yeah, it did take a long time. And um, But as I said, I think it was it probably settled the bunch a little bit too as well because I, I know there was a lot of guys panicking when it was out to seven minutes. Catch was made and pretty much from that point onwards, it was maybe 40 or I'd have to check exactly when it was, but I yeah. think it was about 35, 40 Ks to go, something like that. And yep. it was it was pretty much on to the finish from there. And, you know, every attack seemed to seemed to maybe get like 50 metres and then it would uh, be brought back by the peloton. Um, what was, I mean, I, I, I think I counted at least three attacks um, that you made personally, Liam. What was what was going on in that in that peloton? Yeah, well, I know that um, I for our for Oliver's real food racing sake, we were um, wanting just to be represented in every move. So um, obviously, we had um, Jordan Schmidt in the early break, and then we had we sent Brendan up the road um, as kind of a bit of a counter move coming into the I suppose the last year forty k's. I was kind of thinking, and Sam could back me in on this, that I hadn't really fired a shot. So I probably had to do something for the sake of the team. Yeah, so basically I was just trying to open up, really open up the race and get something away that was going to be beneficial for our situation because we had Sean Whitfield, who was um, probably the guy that we were going to sprint for. Well, like every sprint, doesn't matter whether you're at club level, world tour level, anything in between, it's always a bit of a lottery. So we knew Sean had good legs. We knew um, that if it come down to a sprint finish, he would run it, he would go um, close enough and run, try and run a drum. But at the same time, it would also suit us if we got away in a small group, which is how it eventuated. So yeah, that was basically our thinking is try to split it up, try to make the race once it all came back together. Yeah, um, so basically, there's a ton of attacks. I, I mean, I can't go through them through them all here, but there were some there were some particularly notable exponents of those attacks. Okay, I'm looking at my notes here. Basically, Plap attacked a bunch of times. Ben Hill attacked quite a few times as well. Brendan Johnston attacked quite a few times. Uh, Mark O'Brien coming into those final kilometers attacked quite a few times. Uh, but everything, every time it seemed to kind of get being brought back, but brought back together. Um, I noticed Giant doing a fair bit of work um, on the front of the peloton. I could see their colours, but I couldn't quite work out which rider it was. Was there were there any teams like really trying to keep these things together? Look, I think naturally the track guys were trying to keep it together, um, but they only had really, yeah, two guys. Like they had obviously Lee and then the, um, and uh, and then Sam was obviously sprinting. Um, so I know Lee was trying to mark a lot of things, um, especially early on when it came, when it, the race started to open up. But once things kind of eventuated a bit more and moves were going, but then almost instantly coming back, Lee kind of backed himself out of it a bit and they kind of just stopped chasing those moves and let other teams do it, which is which is obviously a smart move because the more bickies you burn um, chasing smaller moves, obviously the less you're going to have at the final. So, yeah, those those were the guys that were bringing it back. But then ARA were really quite active um, in trying to bring the moves back. Joe Cooper, obviously on his return to NRS level, he was quite active in riding a lot of moves back, and we all know how strong he is. So 
Um, I'd, I'd say that would be that would have been your guy that you would have been seeing on the front of um, the peloton chasing uh, for Giant. But yeah, there's a, there was a flurry of moves, and um, it was yeah, it was just Ben Hill was very active. It was really really active. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's more riders that we can mention there. Jensen Plowright, of course, was very active as well in in trying to get yeah. those moves away, um, which was interesting. And we'll probably get to talking a bit about that later because there's some uh, there's some more news there. But anyway, the the attack goes um, in the final there. We over that um, rise into which is just coming kind of coming over that snaky sort of hill um, into Warnable there. Um, it's funny going into that hill. It looked like everyone had sat up and kind of resigned themselves to the the sprint. Um, or at least on the on the stream, it looked like that. But um, I guess from the stream's point of view, you can't see the the hill that's coming up and and know that there's about to be some attacks. Look, I think it was such a weird dynamic because yeah, we kind of turned that last corner. Well, like when I say last corner, with about ten k's to go, and yeah, I was definitely thinking okay let's just keep it together for a sprint and then yeah then going up that little bit of a rise there were, I, I can't remember who attacked so i, I think it might have been someone from bridge lane it might have been like alistair christie johnson or someone like that um attacked and basically bought this group of like 10 guys away which was yeah as i said odd in itself because naturally once you got about 10 guys reacting it usually means that it's either the brakes usually dysfunctional or or yeah or it's kind of like the almost like a stepping stone for the peloton just to ride themselves across so yeah that was odd and then the kind of that yeah instant almost instantaneously the peloton broke and then sat up um and then i was able to get across like really late which was almost to the point of on my limit of probably how long you wanted to chase for to get in that move, but obviously in the end it's paid away, paid off, and um, can't complain. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was it was interesting you said because um, yeah, it did form off. I think I, I was questioning whether it was Sam Jenner or, or CJ uh, Christy Johnson uh, making that move, um, but yeah, that makes sense. It was um, Alistair Christy Johnson uh, attacking there, and then just over the top of him, you had like Brendan Johnston going um, and attacking again. Will Hodges, I think, went over the top as well and also attacked. So it just kind of created that momentum by like a constant cycle of attacks there. I think just so many people to, were keen to get away. So just as well, just as well, he managed to latch onto the back of it there. I think you, you've knocked the nail on the head there. Like, yeah, just that constant flurry of people still, because it hadn't really been, it hadn't been a hard race up until about the 200K mark. I think there was obviously you had probably like three groups of people. You had one group of people wanting the sprint. You had another group of people that were on their hands and knees just because of the distance. And then you had the, the final group of probably people that were still keen to get away and still make the race because they didn't want to sprint. So as I said, I think all obviously you see most of those guys um, probably apart from Jensen, probably Jensen's probably the only one that wouldn't have minded either way, which way it had gone. Um, but yeah, I can tell you from my my perspective, I was wanting the move to go go away and hope and stay to the line. So um, yeah, because I did I don't really want to be sprinting against Wellsford. Well, no, I don't think anyone did, and uh, I think we saw the reason for that <laughs> that later in the in the piece. Um, but yeah, so there was that group of I think it was seventeen riders in the end, uh, which went to the mm-hmm. finish, which is as you said a massive group. 
Um, but it's kind of helped by that long downhill um, section um, just after that climb. And it's a very fast run in. And I think people were still keen to attack from that group, which kind of kept the pace up. Um, I think if people started looking around each other and going, and going, oh, well, Jensen's here. I'm not sure we want this one to go. But no, they they kept on attacking. And uh, that made it interesting in terms of, well, very interesting in terms of watching. I'm glad you, I'm glad you guys were there putting on a show for us because that was great to watch. Once we crested that hill and then they started to go de- like started like to go downhill a fair bit um, and into that kind of that final, I suppose, five Ks, Jensen was quite vocal um, in telling Alistair and uh, Ben Hill to ride, which I suppose that's what kind of kept that pace up. Um, and then the fact that it wasn't a number, like just ones and twos of every team, like there was I think there was three in form in the front. Like I think Tom Benton, Plappy, and maybe it was actually Carter Turnbull who was there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they, yeah. So they had three cards to play. Giant had another three. I think they had um, Henry Dietz, Bill Simpson, uh, Will Hodges, and then um, then obviously with Bridge Lane having three, Ben Hill. Alistair and Jensen. Like I think the 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 fact that there was that makeup of teams that had multiple riders i think that was probably the key to it staying away um because and yeah like as i said like i i knew that i wasn't going to have a turn on the front because we only had one card to play and that was me so like as i said if there was only ones and twos i think everyone would have looked at each other Mm, yeah, well, it was really interesting, those dynamics. There was a few attacks from Plap, but the serious one was at about 1.5Ks to go. And I think everyone was just really latching onto his wheel. I mean, obviously, he's he's the marked guy by a lot of people, and he wasn't able to uh, quite get away. It created a bit of a gap, and then um, I think Ben Hill covered from Bridge Lane, and then uh, Jensen sort of launched almost his attack at that point from the group behind. Um, went past the slowing group in front um, that had uh, Plap in it and went around that corner into the finish. He had he had uh, maybe, maybe 15, 10 metres over Nathan Earl, who was chasing behind, but at that point he just went full gas and you you saw it there. Um, he put all that track, that track power he has into full use and um, just motored away um, and up that finishing straight. Um, what, was the, what was the thinking there behind? Um, I think like when Plappy attacked, um, I think, and and I'm not, and I'm not, he might completely disagree with me here, but I think the distance might've got the better of him simply just obviously young legs and maybe, yeah, maybe obviously I think he acknowledged that he wasn't in the former, he wasn't nationals, but I think, yeah, I think the the distance probably got the better of him and the the attack wasn't huge. And so I think Ben Hill, as, as you said, covered it pretty easy, but then once Jensen went, I knew that I couldn't chase because, as I said here before, there was one of me or one of all of us in the front group. Um, and if I was to chase Jensen straight away, you'd more than likely, um, me being a little probably on the diesel side a little bit more, you're just going to drag everyone across. And so it was kind of like that thing, like, okay, I might have got away with Jensen and then you would have you would have told him to ride to the line. But at the same time, you also ran the risk of, Burning, um, burning your matches too early, and then also ricking yourself at the finish. Like it's, it was kind of like a no-brainer for me just to say, okay, I'm not chasing. I've, I can't. I've got to really roll, wait and roll my, uh, roll my dice at the finish, really. And so that that was my thinking behind it. And um, and as I said, that was probably 
Um, I was hoping that, yeah, maybe Inform would have come or um, even the guys from, I think, I can't remember what they call. I think they called Memel. Or they were Memel last year. Like, I think that was Bailey Walters and Sam Volkers. Like, I was hoping maybe one of those guys had jumped. Um, but, look, I think, as I said, I didn't really have too many different situations or scenarios I could have played. Oh, yeah. From your perspective, I think it's tough. But um, what was the what was happening in the rest of the bunch? Were they kind of just watching? Or was it is a case of um, there wasn't quite that cohesion to immediately jump on the chase? Yeah, there was definitely no co- like there was wasn't that cohesion just some for someone to react. I think like as I said, like Nathan Earl kind of reacted um, pretty early, and then same with Matt Ross. They both, if they attacked together, they potentially maybe, and um, this is very maybe, uh, could have ridden across a Jensen. But at the same time, like he was just brute power, brute force, brute strength. Yeah, there was not much we could have done about it um, unless you were on his wheel when he attacked. And then lining up for the sprint there is pretty much who's got the strongest legs there in the finish. Um, and it came, came out that Ben Hill um, just uh, took the, well, took the win, took the, took second place um, uh, from the, from the bunch there. Um, whilst you came third, I think you just rolled uh, Ryan Schilt there on the line for, for third and uh, yeah, got yourself on the podium. I hit out with about 200 and probably 250 metres to go. And I'm going to be the first to admit it. I sat up about 20 metres from the line. It's everyone's, everyone says, oh, through the whole of juniors, sprint to the line. Yeah, I sat up probably about 15, 20 metres before the line and Ben Hill line, oh, got me. And I, it's my own stupidity. So I, I don't, I'm not saying that I would have got second, but I'm just saying that, yeah, I stupidly sat up um, and almost cost me the podium, which, which I would have been very angry about because... Obviously, it's the Melbourne Warnable. It's one of the. It's probably the biggest classic in Australia, and uh, yeah, it's no mean feat to get on the podium. And many riders have gone past in previous years without trying, without get, being able to get on the podium with ridiculous form. So, kudos to Ben Hill. Like he, he rode a, uh, an unreal race. So did Jensen, um, and they deserve to go to the one too. Well, yeah, there's some plenty. There's plenty of other real, really good rides in that front group. I just want to pick out a few of them. Um, maybe the ones that we don't think about so much because you know they might be new to this level. But uh, a guy like Henry Dietz, this is his first time up in this sort of um, level of um, achievement um, in the final group of um, a race, a race like this. And you know he ran eleventh in the end. Um, but you've got similar names like you know Zach Gilmore, uh, Cooper Sayers. I think has got a massive potential at this sort of racing in the future uh, bailey walters and um sam volkers who you mentioned earlier part of myo ccn which is that malaysian team but it's got quite a few australians in it so yeah there's some and ryan schilt um he's he's never been this high in this sort of race before so there's a lot of riders there who really showed a lot of potential i think for this sort of racing in the future yeah, there's a there's a very big mix of riders there that you're talking about, and um, I think yeah, I think Henry was um, quite impressive. Like obviously he's off, he's around the same age as Jensen, so these this younger crop of riders is really um, I suppose coming to the fore early, um, and yeah, I think like I think obviously guys like Sam Volkers, uh, I think Sam's about my age as well, so I think we've got a few more years in our legs um, than some of these younger guys, but. Um, yeah, I think like it's it's incredible to see the depth of talent coming through now. Like uh, and guys being able to prove themselves um, in these longer races because it's I suppose it's it is what um, 
I suppose what makes and breaks a lot of riders is yeah is the distance. So as I said, those guys being active in the end of the, uh, in, in well from the 250k to the 270k marker races is quite um, phenomenal. But yeah, Henry guys like Henry, um, yeah Cooper, um, all those guys that you mentioned before. Um, yeah, it's quite um, it's quite refreshing to see almost. Well, uh, Henry's actually 18. I just looked up his age. He's just an 18-year-old, and to do that well is amazing, obviously. Uh, talking of young riders, uh, Jensen Plarat winning the uh, Melbourne Warnable at just 20 years of age. He's the um, youngest winner since Will Walker in 2004. It's and it's his debut race at the Melbourne Warnable. I mean, obviously, I think we we rec- we recognise that he would have been there um, earlier um, had he not crashed um, during the Herald Sun Tour in uh, last year. But um, to do that on debut. I mean, you've done a lot of these races, Liam. <laughs> you, you remember your first one, um, getting up there um, at the pointy end this early in your career. I mean, it's impressive. Yeah, look, I think it's, um, yeah, look, yeah, huge kudos. I think it's um, one of those things that I think the way that the the NRS is falling now, like I think it's it's forcing the development of younger riders. Um, like I think there's a lot of guys, yeah, jumping in when when they first get the opportunity. Yeah, see, like Jensen now being, I think, oh, I was, I was with him in, uh, at Draypack two years ago, and I was talking, to, I was actually talking to um, uh, the race director Agostino Geramondo on Saturday, and and he was saying that yeah, like that whole Draypack philosophy of sending guys over to Europe when they're younger and and giving them the exposure to races that are, I suppose, that almost beyond their level puts them in good stead for future years. So, and I, and I look, look, I tend to believe, I tend to uh, agree with that. Um, as I said, like when I went to Europe a couple of years ago, I got my head kicked in. Jensen, not so much. So, which even puts another feather in his cap. It's one of those things, like I think you learn how to race at, uh, in long races with, with guys that are years older than you. And I think it, yeah, I think it's really going to probably um, be advantageous for the Oz cycling going forward. Yeah, well, there's a there's a question there. Um, is is Jensen in contention for the Olympic squad? I mean, Tim Decker was there. He was uh, he was very uh, complimentary about Jensen's ride. Obviously, uh, a 267 kilometer uh, race doesn't necessarily translate into 4k effort on the track, but we know that Jensen's very good at that as well. Uh, would you would you be um, investigating the possibility of bringing him into the uh, track endurance squad? I don't. I don't think my knowledge of the tracks uh, <laughs> good enough to say yes or no, and I don't want to be stepping on anyone's toes. So um, I'll leave it up to Tim Decker. Uh, being, I don't want to be uh, any sort of. Um, I suppose I don't want to be any sort of new story coming out of this because of. Uh, nah, but like as I said, like I, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not privy enough to um, what what is good for the track, what's not good for the track. I don't. I've haven't touched the track bike since. Well, actually, that's a lie. I did the Bendigo Madison a couple of years ago, but no, pro- I haven't properly been in the track system for five, ten years almost. So, as I said, I think look, I think any sort of race that Jensen puts his head to, he's um he's going to be good. So, I just wanted to touch on uh, one performance, um, Sam Wellsford from back in the peloton, um, sprinting to try and uh, make it back over to the to the guys out in front. Um, he put put about three seconds into the peloton there um, with his with sprint alone. Um, that's I mean that shows that what sort of level he's at. Um, just unfortunately wasn't in that right move there um, to show 
Patricia properly at the finish, um, but you could see him coming home like a freight train from behind. So it was a, a quality performance by Sam, even if it wasn't for the wasn't for the win. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's exactly why we went up the road. We don't want to sprint against him. So I think everyone knows and would probably appreciate that if it did come to a sprint finish, he was going to be the quickest guy um, going. And as as you said, like in three uh, in putting three seconds into the peloton in the last whatever it was where he attacked from or he sprinted from um, is a mean feat in itself. So I think we we would have still been coming up the bottom of the hill if he had launched for the win. Yeah, I don't think there would have been any anyone stopping him. Yeah, well, anyway, well, hopefully we get to see him in full flight on the road of, uh, probably after the, after the Olympics at this point. Um, I think they're going yeah. into more of a track block after this. So... Okay, we'll jump in now to a discussion of the uh, David Reed Holmes Grafton to Inverell. Um, 228 kilometres with uh, 3,300 metres or 3,382 metres of climbing, um, including the formidable climb of the Gibraltar Range. It's about 17 k's, maybe about a 40-minute climb, something like that. Um, well, for the, for the front runners at least. It's a very similar course to last year. There's only a little bit changed um, through Glen Innes where they've chucked in an extra climb um, and bumped up that climbing a little bit to, uh, <laughs> for, for, for anyone who thought that it was getting too easy. And, of course, the main, the main thing about it is the Gibraltar Range, um, tough climb in that, in that middle section of the race. Uh, once it gets to the top there, it doesn't get any easier. There's dead roads, there's those punchy climbs, and by the by the time you get to the finish, everyone's pretty much on their knees. Um, Liam, um, what what do you make of? I mean, the course is the course is the course. It's it's been really hard um, ever since the race's inception. Um, what do you make of it? Yeah, look, I think it's um, you really break this race into almost three sections. Um, you're really you're almost racing to the bottom of the hill, um, which in itself is not easy. Like it's got, as you said, it's got those short um and steeper climbs is quite rolling then you get to gibraltar it's basically yeah well 17k straight uphill um so that's you kind of got to get to the top of gibraltar before the race really even starts um and so i think like obviously firstly you want to be conserving energy then sec um really early and until you get to gibraltar um and then after that, it's really, it's game on. Um, but then obviously that, that last kind of run into the finish, um, there's a couple of like steep uh, little climbs about, oh, I think about a K long, um, which one of them, I think was it, it must've been last, no, it wasn't run last year, was it? Um, the year before, oh, I can't remember who, I can't even remember who won it the, two years ago. Uh, Will Hodges won it two years oh. ago and uh, Dylan Sunderland, I think he might have attacked over that point. Uh, Marcus Cooley was out the front as well, but he bonked um, because he wasn't being fed by his team. And that was, that was the, <laughs> that was the, that was the end of his day. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So yeah. So when, yeah, when the year that Will Hodges won it, yeah, I was in that, um, I suppose. And I think actually Nick got third um, as well. So yeah, I was in that, that final bunch. I got dropped up that final climb. Um, and yeah, as you, uh, as you alluded to, it's very, it's very important to keep eating, eating and drinking. And cause there's literally the race is not finished until that line, um, beckons at 227 Ks or something like that. So yeah, look, you've, you've got climbing all day, literally. 
Um, I think that's the wire gully climb you were referring to there. Um, it's it's. I was about to say it's just out of Glenis. It's not just out of Glenis. It's a fair way out of Glenis, and uh, it's still got about twenty k's to go um, from the top there. But yeah, that's um, that's one of the those really steep climbs. Um, uh, I think it's called the Jack Coop, uh, Jack Griffin climb as well, or Griffin Griffin climb because um, because of the history with Jack Griffin and the race as yeah. well. So um, yeah, that is one of those really tough climbs and. Um, only made more tough by the fact by the fact it comes after two hundred and eight k's there, um, but really there's a lot of sections where attacks can be made, and I think we've seen that um, over the years at this race that um, really attacks can go anywhere, and you've got to be kind of um, awake to that at all times. I mean, we've seen Sean Lake solo away from sixty um, k's to go. We've seen seen him attack um, shorter line as well. I mean, he won a few of those additions there, but you know, there's just um, and there's not like a sort of rider who wins it either. It's not like you can say, okay, I've got to watch the climbers or I'll, okay, I'll watch like the, the hard men for the flat. It's just sort of anyone's race and whoever's good on the day. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's literally, yeah, obviously you've got to be in good form going into it. Um, and you literally, and you've got to have good legs on the day. Like you can't have, you almost got to have everything. And like any race, whenever you win a race, you pretty much got to have the stars aligning. Um, cause you obviously, you, you lose a lot more races than you win. So yeah, it's, um, it's one of the right, it's probably one of my favorite races for the year simply because it is a little bit unpredictable. Um, and you are grinding to the ground, but at the same time, you got to give it a lot of respect. You can't, uh, you can't go in there thinking that you're just going <laughs> to cruise through it and, uh, just be, and oh, it's only a few hills here and there. It is literally definitely the hardest one day one day race in the Australian calendar, but also it's the only thing that probably matches it. If you get a really windy warning, like that is literally the, um, yeah. Otherwise terrain wise, they're chalk and cheese. Talking, talking just about Oliver's now. Um, what's, is there much change from your um, squad going from Warney to um, Grafton? Um, look, I think we'll have a, a couple of uh, like stable guys. Um, so Brendan, myself, um, or Brendan Davids, that is, sorry, um, myself, uh, Riley Fleming. Um, and then after that, we'll just have, I think there might be a couple of other guys from Canberra. Um, we were kind of seeing how guys were going to pull up after the Warnable um, to see whether we include them or not. Yeah, it was just, it was going to be a bit of a um, bit of a lottery um, just to see, as I said, see how guys pull up and whether we um, include other guys or put more of a climbing team in or what's, yeah, it was really undecided. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see um, what the final list looks like, but we've got the preliminary list here, so I'm just going to shoot you a few names and uh, you can give me your thoughts based on um, what, what you what you saw from them at Warney and uh, how they might go. Um, okay, first of all, uh, the 2020 Warney champion, Brendan Johnston, is going for his first Grafton to Inverell. Um, what, what do we think there? Yeah, I think, look, it's definitely one of those races that's going to suit him. I don't think there's there's not many parkours that uh, don't suit him. Um, look, he can because he, he's a very smart rider. He's a very classy rider. We all saw that when he um, basically tore the whole NRS apart last um, at in Tweed. Like he, if you want him to go up a climb, he'll go up a climb. If you want him to sprint a reduced bunch, he'll sprint a reduced bunch. Like, um, and then obviously his credentials on the uh, on the mountain bike is um, another. It's another aspect to him. So, look, as I said, you you can never, ever uh, forget about him because he'll always be there and he'll be always present. 
Um, next up, uh, we're talking about Cameron Scott uh, from ARA. Um, did you see much of him? I mean, obviously, I mean, let's preface this by saying he's coming back from a horrific injury um, at um, suffered during that crash um, on the final stage of the NRS National Tour at the end of uh, 2020 there. I was amazed to see him up and walking at Nationals. And um, he came back. And, didn't he win the Victorian 100K Championships recently? So... Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a man of steel, force of nature, whatever you want to call him. But um, he's back and he's racing quite well. He finished thirty sixth at Warney, but um, I don't know. Did you see much of him during the day? Yeah, look, I had a bit of a quick chat to him um, before the the start of the race on Saturday. Um, just saying, basically, it was good to see him back because, as I said, we yeah, we all know what the I suppose what he went through um, late last year. Um, and yeah, look, I think he's definitely a force to be reckoned with. Like we saw, we saw him same thing when he got all over all the climbs that a lot of the, um, a lot of the sprinters didn't, and then just absolutely just torched everyone in the finish. Like, I think it was stage two. Oh no, I might even remember the first stage. Uh, oh no, second stage um, that he did that. And so, yeah, as I said, you can never count him out. He's a very classy bike rider and um, could be right up his alley. Yeah. Well, we've seen him come third at the Grafton before. Um, it was one of those cases where, he gets to the end of a hard race and then absolutely blitzes the field, sort of Sam Wellsford style at Warney. Um, and he did that at Nationals one year as well, that sort of thing where he just puts lengths into the field with his sprint. So I'd love to see that again from Cam. Um, I spoke to Stu Shaw briefly um, before the Warney and uh, his coach and said, yeah, but he wasn't quite sure how Cam's going to go over the long distance races, but he's coming along well. So, you know, hopefully after getting the warning in his legs, maybe he's got got some more legs for the back of this one. So really looking forward to seeing how Cam Scott goes. Some other favourites here. I mean, can't go past the Inform team. Um, I actually just copied and pasted their whole team. Raphael <laughs> uh, Freinstein, Mark O'Brien, Tom Benton, Carter Turnbull, Rudy Porter, David Williams, Blake Quick. I think any of them could win, maybe outside of Blake Quick. I'm not sure this is quite his terrain. And uh, David Williams is a good rider as well. I mean, I'll, I'll keep him in there. <laughs> so yeah i think six potential winners there and maybe that's being a bit hard from blake quick yeah look i think um as i said i think they and i've i said straight after the race on um on saturday that i think they're going to have a point to prove um i like obviously they they were, they were represented at the front with raf but they they they're always here to race and they're always here to win so i think they're going to have a point to prove on um uh, on on next Sunday, and it's always inevitable that Mark O'Brien will go up Gibraltar range. Like that's that's almost like saying uh, this evening will or tomorrow will follow this evening. Like it's it's inevitable. Yeah. So Mark's one of the first five over the top of Gibraltar, and we'll see what happens from there. Uh, yeah. um, St George, what did you make of their performance um, or at the warning? Um, they're bringing a, a strong team again to Grafton. Uh, Ryan Kavanagh was very strong. Um, yeah, he he looked fit and in in pretty good nick. Um, I'm not too sure. Um, or Sam Chrome, we always know we know how dangerous he is. He's you just never know with him. He could um, when he's on when he's on he's on. So he's always one that you got to watch out for. Uh, I'm not sure what the rest of their team looks like. I think um, Jesse Norton from Ballarat, one of the guys that we train with back home, um, I think he's guest riding for them. So, um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, we'll just see. How, I'm not too sure what the rest of their team looks like. but um, Oh, well, they've got Lionel Mordet, um, who's obviously, oh, yeah. 
he's been very strong in recent racing. Uh, Michael Vink as well, they're bringing over from New Zealand. So that's, that's a guy who's won two of Southland. So once you once you win a sort of race like that, that's very much up the Grafton to Inverell sort of. Um, Lionel, yeah, he'll, he goes uphill well. So um, I think definitely he's one to watch. Um, maybe in the same sort of ballpark as Marco. Um, but then Vink, um, well, as I said, I don't. I, we obviously haven't seen a lot of them for a while because of the the last twelve months. But I'd assume that he wouldn't be flying over here if he was going badly. So he's definitely one to watch, and we know his credentials. So um, yeah, can't put it past him to put in a big performance, especially with Brett Dutton in the car as well. You um, you always know that they're going to be cluey about what the way they race. We'll Moving on to Bridge Lane, I can't believe we've taken this long to get there after their one two. At uh, at Warnable, uh, but again, very strong team. Pretty much the same team. They're actually well. Their provisional list um, is that they're swapping uh, Riley Field in for Jensen Plowright. Um, though Jensen said um, in the post race interview that he's keen to get on the list for Grafton to Inverell. So I think they might be able to find some space for them. Uh, him, him in there somewhere. Um, it's going to be a very similar thing where you have to watch all of them again, Len. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think um, obviously Ben Hill's showing that he's in good condition. Um, so, and and this is the kind of race that would suit Ben Hill. Um, I think. Um, look, you can't put anything past Jensen. So, um, and I think yeah, it's one of those things you just got to um, you just got to watch him, mark him, and hopefully um, <laughs> we didn't really work on Saturday, but beat him. <laughs> yeah. Um... Oh, I forgot, I forgot to I forgot to bring this up actually, but um, I wrote a piece um, for SBS which went into some of these behind the scenes sort of um, things, and it mentioned um, that Jensen in he in the post race um, was 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 talking about how uh, the Bridgeland team didn't actually work for him in that final um, in that final group, and, and there and there is actually a bit on the stream where you see Ben Hill, uh, where you see Jensen talking to Ben Hill, and. Um, then and then that's when Luke Plapp attacks and Bendis kind of goes to cover rather than I guess leading the bunch over. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, look, I think I don't think like they had numbers there and uh, yeah, I think I, Jensen was definitely vocal in telling him to ride for him, um, and that's but he's a sprinter. Like it's he's put himself in the right move. He's probably the best chance. Um, he was probably literally, he's probably a 95% chance of winning that um, if we come down to a bunch sprint, let alone we're in a reduced bunch sprint. Like it's, it's, it was kind of inevitable to um, not work for him. But as I said, I, um, when that stuff sort of happens, you kind of switch off to what's actually happening around you rather. And I know Alistair Christie Johnson put in a pretty big turn and rode road for him um, down that kind of that hill where um, coming into Warnable. So look, as, as I said, I think um, yeah, you've got to be, got to be very careful what you say, but as I said, it's just, yeah, I look at it's neither here or there. It doesn't, didn't really affect me in the end. So I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. Yeah. yeah well, I'm, I'm, I, was, I was just surprised that, um, that it wasn't more of a concerted effort because yeah, as you said, he was the sprinter in that group. Um but we'll move on. Um, I'd go. I'd go check out that piece. By the way, if you haven't got the chance to, there's some good stuff about Ben Hill in there. I mean, about about his comeback um, from from injury as well. So, uh, well worth going and checking out. Um, Another incredible I'll, comeback. 
<laughs> oh, no, I know. It's it's a pity that there's so many crashes that we have to have all this all this stuff. But I mean, I suppose it's part and parcel with cycling, isn't it? We'll keep. I mean, I'm conscious of time, so we we'll just keep on quickly running through. Um, I'm I was very impressed by the way Giant Racing Road um, in Warney, but um, Grafton to Inverell is a different beast. However, they bring a um, former winner in Will Hodges, and they've got a, a number of very good riders there. Um, Joe Cooper. Uh, another comeback to the peloton bill simpson uh, who's the holder of the young riders jersey at the moment in the nrs he was a bit confused to be getting that on the podium he sort of got up there and shrugged and was like and then went off <laughs> um uh, alex holden who was good at nationals and liam walsh who's a good track rider so you know that's just a quality um a quality group there yeah i think um well joe cooper's already made it pretty clear that he wants to set the kom uh, Strava KOM up Gibraltar range. So whether that eventuates or not um, could be a scary thing. Um, but uh, look, I think, yes, yeah, so they're bringing a strong team to support potentially Joe, potentially Will. Obviously, Will knows how to win it. And so, yeah, he's always going to be a formidable force. As for the other guys, um, obviously, Bill Simpson's in pretty good condition. Nero did a, an attacking ride at uh, Warney. Um, guys like Cooper Sayers and Dylan McKenna attacking the finale there, and Sam Hill, of course, um, out the front all day. Um, they're a strong team. Uh, I don't don't think they need any comment. Most people know who who they are. Uh, Matt Ross mm-hmm. and Ryan Schilt. Matt Ross has been good in Grafton before um, uh, of Cycle House. Sorry, uh, Cycle House have a yeah good team, but Matt Ross is probably their big name uh, for that race. Here's one I do want some comment on. Um, the unofficial Team Yukio uh, squad that's um, going there, um, Nathan Earl, Ben Ben Dibel and Marcus Cooley, um, they've all been really good at Grafton to Inverell before. Um, they're all technically riding as individuals, but they'll, you know, they'll all be in the same kit. So what do we think? What do we think of those three? Yeah, um, look, I think <laughs> as you said, they're all they've all been at the pointy end of the race. They're all very classy bike riders. You can't um, you can't put anything past them. Like as I said, Cooley, um, strong as an ox. Ben, ridiculous climber. Like as I said, these this race has got a lot of climbing. So when it goes uphill, it's going to favour those guys. And then obviously we know Nathan Earl's history. Like I don't even have to comment on that. Like it's um, Earl's Earl. Like he he'll be there and he'll be there and thereabouts. That's pretty much it. There was a few more um, individual riders. I mean, Jesse Hewitt, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. The the Irishman now, um, he, he made that change in the, in the off-season. Um, a guy like Troy Herfoss, uh, love to see him racing. Uh, Peter Milostic, still going hard at 46. We saw that on the live stream, uh, trying to jump away with Brendan Davids there. And, you know, a, a bunch of other names. Oh, one, one that I wanted you to pass comment on uh, for me, Liam, um, is Bailey Walters. Um, I've got big raps on him from what I've seen him do, um, but I haven't necessarily made that, you know, too public. What what do you think um, of, of his performances? Um, look, like he was in the, he was in the final in, um, on Saturday. So obviously he's uh, got good, uh, got good legs and good, uh, good form. Um, he's about 50 kilos ringing wet. So, that should, in in theory, allow him to go uphill relatively well, and he's a punchy rider as well. So, um, look, as I said, I haven't seen a whole lot of him. Um, look, I, I know him. I actually, I actually know him pretty well. Um, like, but I haven't seen a whole lot of his racing. So, and I, but I, I do know that he has the races that I have been at. He has been in the um, in the finish of most of them. So, look, I think he'll be there. Um, not sure in what 
um, what form, as I said, as in what uh, where he'll finish, but he'll be there and he's a good bike rider. Yeah, well, I mean, those points that you um, that you mentioned, his, I mean, his physical talents, he's tiny, but he gets to the end of these really tough bike races and he can sprint really well. I mean, that's not a combination you see too often, so that's what intrigues me about about Bailey. And, yeah. Um, what what makes me think that he could be a potential you know star of the future? So, well, and from what I hear from um, other people who've commented upon him, they all say he's got a really good attitude and he's really keen. So, um, I mean, those are a lot of ingredients that go into making a very successful bike rider. Anyway, I think we should call it there, Liam, um, because this has gone far too long. This podcast, um, <laughs> I was I was uh, I was hoping to do um, the women's. Um, get a women's rider on here as well and uh, talk a bit about all the warning and the Grafton coming up because they've got their first um, Grafton, well, not Grafton to Inverell, it'll be uh, Gibraltar to Inverell, uh, but they've got their first race coming up there. So it's great to see the women um, getting an NRS race. And yeah, I wish I was up there this year. Unfortunately, this is going to be the first Grafton I've missed in, I think, five years. I mean, obviously we didn't have one last year. But... First bike race you've missed in five years. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I've definitely missed the Tour of East Gippsland once or twice or, you know, some of those races. <laughs> but um, I, I do I do, I do, do love it too much being out at the NRS and uh, certainly it's been great to be back at racing. I think everyone's enjoyed being race side. Now, hundred percent, and your uh, and your support of the racing is much appreciated because, as I said, without it, it um, there'd be a pretty big hole in it. So, no, thank you for that, and um, great to be able to talk. No, no, thank you for your time, Liam. You know, you'll make me blush if you compliment me anymore. So, <laughs> we've got some pieces going up on Australian Cycling Insider, not many because I'm mostly writing for um, SBS Cycling Central and for the Melbourne Waterball. I was doing the uh, media and communications role for that so if you wanted to see any of my writing for that you go onto the melbourne to warnable site and if you wanted to see any of my other writing that's on sbs so yeah basically anything written about the melbourne to warnable unless it was on the warnable standard was mostly by me so you're gonna see a lot of my writing around there um but thanks for joining us everyone um Try and follow along with the Grafton to Inverell. Unfortunately, there's not going to be any live stream from what I hear um, coming out of that race currently, uh, which is a bit of a pity. I mean, it's obviously a big technical challenge to do it um, that deep into Inverell. And it might be a while until the highlights are up. I'll try and I'll try and get them up as soon as possible on SBS so we can see what went on at the race. But um, otherwise, I'll just be following closely on with the teams and the race and trying to do my best to cover it from afar as um, unfortunately SBS has got the rights to the Giro. Oh, woe is us. But uh, it meant I have to stay in Sydney and cover it. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us, Liam. Um, All the best for you in, well, first of all, congratulations on your third at Melbourne Warnable. Great moment in your career and uh, good luck at Grafton to Renfrew. Thank you, Jamie. No, I appreciate appreciate it. And uh, fingers crossed we can get something done at the Grafton. Thanks, mate. And now we are joined by Justine Barrow of Rock Salt Live SRAM. Uh, Justine is part owner of the team. Uh, she's been on the podium at Nationals. She's been a Masters champion. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up. You've been a Masters, a Masters World champion, Justine, haven't you? Correct. In 2016, I think. Yeah, so you went from Masters World champion and then back down to elites. That, that sounds wrong, but anyway, you... Um, uh, back to back to elites, and yeah, now you're showing that you can win there as well. Um, Justine, welcome to the Australian Cycling Insider podcast. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. Um, well, 
where do we start? I mean, we're talking about uh, Melbourne Warnerball and Grafton Touring Rail. You missed um, you missed the bit with Liam White where we um, covered off the men's races. It was yeah, it was a hard day out there in the in the peloton. Um, Justin, where where did you find yourself? I mean, obviously you finished second in the end, but can you describe your day a bit? Yeah, you never quite know what to expect. It was a relatively hard start, but potentially not quite as hard as others have started off. I actually uh, competed in 2016 and that was a hard and fast start. The hills coming up to just 30 kilometres in were pretty decisive and I thought they would be. And after that, things settled off a bit until going off again at that last KOM, 200 kilometres, nearly 200 kilometres in, and that's where the three women that were in contention at that stage uh, got, yeah, distance from that front group. Did it all happen at, at, at once? Uh, so it was yourself, Nicole Frayne and Matilda Reynolds. Um, did you all kind of pop at once or was it a case of um, one of you looked like you might be hanging on for a bit longer uh, or what was what was the situation? I think I held on the longest and uh, Nicole and Matilda weren't too far behind me. Well, what, was the, what was the experience? Um, I mean, you've done it before, but uh, what's the experience of racing in, in the men's bunch? It's obviously different from the women's. I mean, there's a lot less control that your team or you yourself can personally exercise um, over what's going on. I think uh, one, one of the biggest things is just the size of it. So the biggest pelotons that I race in in a women's race is probably 120. So just the sheer size of the peloton is quite different. And, yes, you, um, it is about hanging hanging on and hanging in there as compared to being able to have any control uh, of the race. I suppose the thing is um, that it's harder to necessarily get a feed and stuff like that, though I understand um, your husband, um, Andrew Gray, was um, in a car behind, so that made it maybe, maybe a bit easier to give you options to feed. No, we women weren't allowed to feed from the vehicles. Okay, so were you were you um, trying to find somebody at a feed, sta- a feed station? Yeah, so I did uh, these events. So you have a lot of um, a lot of people supporting, which is fantastic. So our husband drove the women's support car, so he worked out he was twelve hours driving. Um, parents uh, were feeding me, and Yes, so it's a big day out for them as well and really, really appreciative of the support that you do get. And, yes, I did. The feed zones were very crowded and, yes, I missed some feeds. So Nicole um, gave me a bottle at one stage, which was fantastic, and I did get my last feed from my parents. So that was good to make sure their day wasn't a waste of time. Yeah, coming into the final stage of the race then, um, and you're in that group of three, um, what's the feeling within the group? What uh, what are you talking about and what uh, what are the tactics amongst amongst you? Is it just a bit case about lasting to the finish line? Again, it's, it's hard felt in the group that we came in in is you still didn't have control, you still couldn't control or necessarily be aggressive uh, because 
just about any moves would um, be shut down by men that are, it's races within races, isn't it? It was just leaving it to the finale. Okay. Um, were you a bit, were you a bit um, I'm not sure worried is the quiet word, is right the word, but um, wary of Matilda Reynolds' um, sprint in that case then? Oh, definitely. I am certainly not known for my sprint prowess um, and probably most people would have marked out of the three of us that I would come third. Um, the fact that it was a little bit uphill um, was an advantage for me. One of my strengths, I suppose, is endurance and was still able to sprint at just about my full sprint power after the 267 kilometres. You could say that's a good thing, but that probably also indicates how bad my sprint is when I'm fresh as well. Well, I mean, it sounds impressive on paper, so anyway. Yeah, it was it was interesting um, after the race, actually, um, Matilda Reynolds. One of the first things she said was, like, oh, I'm honoured to win it again and I love this race. Um, I think everyone should do it but I'm not coming back next year because it's too bloody hard. Um, what, what, were your, what were your feelings immediately after the race? So let's go back to the first time I did it. That's exactly what I said after the first time and predominantly not so much um, due to the hardness of it, but the number of crashes during that race was really high. And I suppose I saw several around me and was involved um, in one but was able to keep racing. Uh, so that is one one barrier with the race and why I said that I wasn't doing it again. Uh, didn't see as many this year, which was great. Um, speedy recovery to any of those that actually were involved in crashes. Uh, for me, I like the hardness of this race. Uh, however, the terrain is really not most <laughs> most in my favour so uh, yes again it's been ticked off and don't know that I want to do it again either um, but just give ask, ask a woman a couple of hours after she's had a baby whether she wants to do it again <laughs> give me a couple of weeks and I might give you a different answer <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I feel, I feel that that was the same way with Matilda last year. She, she wasn't super keen on doing it um, next, well, this year. Uh, but, you know, she got she talked herself back into it eventually. So who knows um, how these things turn out. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we see um, you, you guys back there on the start list. Um, though there may be talk of a women's race um, next year over a shorter distance and making that part of the NRS. So I don't, I don't know. Would you be in, in favour of that, Justine? Or do you think that the challenge of the Melbourne to Warner Bull um, being part of the men's peloton is, is what makes it um, a special race? There's different ways to to look at this, and it you know is a somewhat controversial um, topic. So my ultimate ultimate wish would be that we have a peloton of 200 women racing the same distance. So that's my first wish. And pegging back from that, I think why a women's race at this stage, wouldn't work across that distance is not because uh, we can't race hard over that distance. But if you've got a peloton of 50 or less, it 
it would make the race less exciting. Uh, so, yes, I'm in favour of a women's race and if we're not looking at a, a peloton of 200, it makes sense to make it shorter. Well, it'll be well. Hopefully, we do get up to that stage eventually. I mean, I'd love to see a massive uh, women's field going around. That'd be great. Yeah, looking forward. Looking forward to the advancement of women, women's cycling to that point. Let's move on now to oh wait. Well, first of all, I should mention that Kirsty Deacon um, has done some amazing article writing around the women's race, and apart from Matilda Reynolds um, winning winning piece which i did which i think you know matilda reynolds is a very good talent so she her quotes there were made for good reading but um kirsty's piece where she spoke to um some some of the women's writers about their experiences during the race and yeah not not necessarily the top three i don't think she spoke to you or she didn't speak to you justine or nicole frayne but she did um get some quotes from Matilda and she was talking to some of the riders um, who are at the back fighting to just stay in the race. And it brings a whole range of different experiences in Kirsty's unique writing style. So go check that out on SBS Cycling Central if you get the chance. Have you had a, had a chance to read yeah, it? Yeah, I've, I've, I've read it and she chatted to my teammate, Nicola. So, yes, I've read the article and, yes, I agree. Very brilliant, brilliant read. Yeah, she's a very talented writer, Kirsty. Um, I wish I could write like her sometimes. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I quite have her voice or expertise in certain things, but, um, yeah, she's very, very talented. Okay, let's move on to the Grafton to Inverell, or for the women, it's going to be, uh, well, top of Gibraltar range to Inverell. I believe uh, Gibraltar House is the official starting point of the race there, sort of where that feed zone is for the men's, just over the top of Gibraltar range there. Well, not just over the top, but a, a bit, a fair bit after the top of Gibraltar range. And it's going to be an interesting spot for the start because there's no reception up there. I, I can vouch that myself, having been stuck up there. Um, in the cold on um, a number of mornings following the men's graft into Inverell. Uh, but it's no by no means easy way to the finish from there. It's 136.6 kilometres from that spot at uh, Gibraltar House to the finish in Victoria Park in Inverell, uh, going mostly along the Guadia Highway there. Um, there's a couple of very tough climbs um, on the route into Inverell and it's dead roads, really hard racing. Uh, just, Justine, are you looking forward to the race or what's the feeling coming? Definitely, into definitely. It's, I um, missed the Santos tour. So, yeah, really looking forward to getting in our race, racing for the women getting going. So it will be my first for 2021. Yeah, you had a, a nasty crash at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, four weeks, three four weeks, three days before nationals. <laughs> yeah, and I remember talking to you at nationals, and you said you were, you know, basically. I mean, you'd you'd been riding, but you'd barely ridden on the road at that stage. Correct. Okay, and then you, you entered nationals. In any case, um, yeah, right. Uh, I was on the didn't miss a day of training with the fractured clavicle collarbone and was able to be on the trainer up for a three-hour session two days after surgery so had the target of nationals four weeks three days how, how did you go out there I didn't catch up with you after the race yeah not quite at my best but it, it, it's always a good tough day out it's amazing that you managed to get to the start line so uh, con- congratulations on that and hopefully you get a, a bit more of a chance to um to go 
uh, to your top top level here in the Grafton to Inverell. Um, I spoke to Stu Shaw, um, who's head of performance at uh, the Australian Cycling Academy, well, ARA Pro Racing Sunshine Coast, and he he said that he took um, the women and men's teams out there to take a look at the course and. Uh, the women's riders in particular who'd never done the race before were struck by just the difficulty of that course from the top of Gibraltar range there because, I mean, I think maybe there's a psychological thing of once you get past Gibraltar range, I mean, yeah, sure, it's easy from there. That's the big climb done. But no, there's still a significant amount of climbing left. Um, I think Stu said it was about 1,700 metres of climbing still remaining. So, yeah, that's making a, a significant um dent in anyone's legs from that point onwards uh yeah the, the harder and the hillier um the more i start to smile <laughs> yeah i mean uh i think in particular there's an extra climb in there around uh, glen Innes now and the wire gully climb uh, which has been a decisive point in the men's race about 20 coasts in the finish there um, a few times is going to be a point for the women, which is going to be uh, one where we probably see those last attacks launch. Have you talked through the race at all? Well, talked through um, what's going to happen uh, with your Roxalt team yet? No. So um, we're all driving up there, uh, leaving tomorrow. So that's when we'll get more of an opportunity to discuss as a team. And, yeah, I'll certainly be making sure that drive and ride the latter part of the course so we'll get to see it firsthand then on on Friday. We might might talk through um, uh, the teams now. Can you give us a rundown of the Rock Salt team and um, who you, which riders you're taking? Uh, so we've got myself, uh, Saffron, Courtney, Peter, uh, Nicola. But have I said the five there? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think Courtney in particular um, impressed impressed me um, during, uh, I think it was uh, the Santos Festival of Cycling um, when she was doing a lot of work on the front at times. And uh, obviously Nicola just did uh, Warner Ball and Peter Mullins is Peter Mullins. So you bring a strong team in there. We certainly are. Who are the other teams? I mean, obviously there's the there's the normal names, the ARA Pro Racing Sunshine Coast, uh, Specialised, uh, Sydney Uni, uh, Staminade. Uh, as the top teams, um, who are you? Who are you looking out for amongst those um, top teams? Yeah, I'm not going to discount. <laughs> I, you're not going to draw me too too much. I'm not going to discount any of them. I'm um, hoping and expecting that they are really being, bringing good squads. And I suppose what I've witnessed over the last twelve months is really seeing that the women's teams are progressively just working stronger as a team unit. So we'll be looking out and mindful of all of those teams. Mm. Looking looking at the, at the characteristics of the course, though, what riders do we think it's going to favour? Because it's, you know, a new race for the, for the women. Um, are those climbs like the sort of punchy ones where a Ruby Roseman Gannon is going to be comfortable getting over them? I mean, she's shown that she can climb with pretty much the best in the NRS, so I think the answer is probably yes. But um, what do you think? Yeah, so looking, so I've never seen the course um, before. Yes, I've um, been trying to do a research on it and, you know, look at Strava segments and do as much research as I can beforehand. 
Um, on paper, yeah, definitely it looks like um, the kind of climbs that a, a rider like Ruby could could get over. But um, t- also adhering the culmination of the climbs across the course uh, may start to favour start to favour a climber, uh, a, a less punchy climber. That does make sense. Um, there aren't so many pure climbers on the on the start list. Just having a quick look down. I mean, uh, there's names like Emily Watts, who is super impressive at nationals. Um, Maeve Plouffe, not really a, a top climber, though she's a very um, outstanding athlete. Jamie Gunning that is there. She's a, a big climber. And Daniel Di Francesca, I think we're all excited to see what she can do at this sort of level. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Stannard, again, from, from uh, Specialised Women's Racing. Uh, Holly Harris, who was super impressive. So, I mean, that Specialised Women's te- uh, women's Racing team there looks stacked with the sort of right riders to uh, make an impact on the race. So you can see why I wasn't going to be drawn on <laughs> two riders. There's, there's, isn't it great that we can be talking like this, that there's uh, so many talented uh, riders there that on this course could have the potential to win? There's some riders here who um, I haven't had the chance to chat to personally, Justine, so I was wondering if you could maybe um, shed some light on what type of rider and, you know, what sort of personality there on the peloton. Uh, Alana Forster from, I mean, she's she's a guest road with a number of teams now, but um, the most recent one was uh, Panna Organic Peddler, I think. Personality, Alana likes to chat. <laughs> um, yeah, I think got a great work ethic, um, is an aggressive rider, doesn't, doesn't like to leave anything left in the tank, uh, which is an exciting rider to watch. I think we saw that at the Santos Festival Cycling. She decided that, you know, the front of the, off the front of the race was the best place to be for a number of those stages. So, yeah, looking to see how she goes. If she didn't, perhaps didn't like talking to the rest of the peloton. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you said she was chatty, but maybe she, maybe she <laughs> used, up a, used up a conversation. Uh, and Josie Talbot is there as well. I mean, obviously uh, a rider of world tour pedigree there um, and, we saw her climbing very well during the yep. um, national tour, I think, uh, last year. So, you know, on her best yeah, day. So, uh, uh, race on the same team with Josie and really impressed with her bike IQ, race IQ. Yes, uh, definitely impressed with both her climbing and you'd never want to take her to a sprint. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, she she had that really bad luck at, um, I think it was the second stage of that um, national tour um, coming into that sprint there where she dropped her chain. Mm. But I think she would have been right up there for the win otherwise. So hope, hopefully we get to see her do her best again here and uh, be at the end of the race. Um, it should be a really interesting addition. Really looking forward to this. Um, what's the feeling amongst the team in terms of getting back into the um, NRS competition? Yeah, I think we're all uh, super excited, but also I think more grateful um, for for racing. And that That's why I lined up for the warning myself is – Yes, well, some of it was some pushing from my co- coach, Mark O'Brien, but also just really grateful that where these races are being put on after a year of deprivation of races. Well, we all know Marco uh, wants to do pretty much every race that he can. 
Yes. <laughs> and let's see, let's see what happens to his um, racing once his new addition to the family comes along. Yeah, I mean, I can't see him racing with um, a, the kid on a kitty carrier on his back or anything like that. So I don't know, maybe he'll. Rig I actually out. could <laughs> <laughs> still probably ride away from people on <laughs> on hills. What else can you tell us about uh, Roxelt Livesham and uh, what what the team are up to for the rest of the season? The cyclocross season is coming, uh, so we've got certainly. Um, a few of our team members will be taking that season on, um, as well as mountain biking, and then the esports as far as the NRS goes. And yeah, the latter part of the NRS season, we're still hoping to get over to Europe uh, in the latter part of the year. And we're just got to see what the political and health. Uh, climate of the world is uh, over the next few months yeah well fingers crossed um you guys can get over there because i know you know it was a tough situation last year where you'd paid for your continental license and um couldn't get over for um, any races to really use it despite having it was, it was a tour of flanders start that you had um had booked wasn't mm-hmm. it so yeah disappointing but um i think it's you know shows the strength of the rock salt program i've always been a big fan of it and um, you know, owned by yourself, Peter Mullins and Kelvin Rundle and giving riders a chance to have a say in what races they want to do. It's uh, very democratic and uh, an interesting setup um, in comparison to, you know, the way that most cycling teams are run. Yeah, that's a fantastic environment. Well, thank you for joining us, uh, Justine, and best of luck for the weekend. Um, we'll be following your exploits uh, probably on Twitter. Um, there's not going to necessarily be much live coverage unfortunately of the race outside that and i won't be up there so who knows what the twitter updates are going to be hopefully the uh, we get a good idea of what's going on in the race and see an exciting event up there okay thank you